When you see a group of motorcyclists getting ready to ride away after a break, you can be pretty sure if you sit and watch them that there's going to be one or more, and it's likely going to be more in that group that have not got the hang of the turnaround especially in dirt. Now, more obvious, of course, if they have to change directions when they get going again, because even the slightest direction change at low speed can cause problems for many riders. So today on our exclusive Rider Skills program, we are mastering the turnaround. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Simon Pavey. Brian Field. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Elspeth Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. Cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. It seems like a simple concept, yet according to Clinton Smout, BMW certified instructor and head instructor at Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada, turning the bike around at slow speeds is when most riders practice the other thing, the pickup. That's picking up your motorcycle off the ground after it's fallen in an attempt to turn around. Now, on this episode of Rider Skills, Clinton has some basic concepts and tricks to help us master the turnaround. Obviously, being able to confidently turn your bike around is not only a time saver, but it reduces scratches on your crash bars and your handlebar ends, and your muscles will love you for not having to pick the bike up again. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, these segments are not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you are doing so at your own risk. Clinton Smout. I'm from Barrie, Ontario, Canada, and I'm a motorcycle instructor. Clinton, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Hey, Jim. Great to be here. I know you had a busy summer, but I also know that you went to the Yukon, which is surprising because I wasn't sure when you talked about it before, I wasn't sure the trip was actually going to happen. I, I guess you probably felt the same way, but but it did. Yes. Uh, part of it happened. Normally, this was uh, because this was my third trip. In the past, a company called Dual Sport Plus, who does the itinerary and the shipping of our bikes because we cheat, um, they plan two or three day excursion into Alaska. But of course, the border was closed. So we just did a little extra riding around the top of the world highway and Dawson City, Yukon. Still really nice. Yeah, and it was the best weather that I've ever seen up there. Of course, it's autumn in early September in the Yukon, so the colors were spectacular. All the lichen and moss, 
uh, not very many trees past the Arctic Circle, but just spectacular. Now, and your your capacity in this is you're not you're not on vacation. You're riding sweep. Yeah, kind of. So the first year I went, the owner of the company was there, and I paid to go. And there was a lot of bike issues because we didn't really vet people properly as far as their riding skill and the preparation of their bike or even taking an appropriate adventure bike. So subsequently, I must have done six flat tires, changed three tires. I fixed the bike with JB Weld and there was some first aid used. (laughs) So I guess the gentleman that owned the company thought, we really need a guy like that on the other tours and stay in case things go wrong. So now I get a complimentary trip as long as I agree to ride at the back and kind of ride shotgun for everybody, which I'm happy to do. Wow. That's a, that's a good way to do this. So is that what you do with other things as well? You just show up, make yourself useful and hope that you're going to get, you know, asked back for free. Yeah, I haven't done it other than this, but it's a good plan. Yeah, great. So, so, but you said the weather was really good. So I assume there, there wasn't much that really went wrong. Uh, there was a little bit of rain, but the temperature was still very warm. Um, the only real work I did on the second day, a gentleman crashed pretty hard in the mud. And it was the most unique hole in an engine that I've ever seen. We speculate a stone got caught behind the crash guard on this Triumph Tiger 900, almost brand new bike. And then the pressure of the weight pushing down on the stone in the crash guard put a hole in the engine. Ouch. And it was on the, on the left side. So, of course, it's the stator side that runs in a bath of oil. So most of his oil leaked out. And then, of course, uh, by the time I got there, 45 minutes later, he was pretty demoralized because he'd never heard of J.B. Weld. So he thought, you know, my new bike's wrecked. It needs a new engine. I just paid all this money for this trip, and now that's over. So he wasn't a very happy guy when I showed up. And I tried to appease him saying, you know, relax, 20 minutes from now, I'll have this up and running. He's going, oh, yeah, you're going to weld it on the side of the road? (laughs) I said, yeah, actually, I am, kind of. Because J.B. Weld is a magical. Whoever came up with that should be knighted. It's amazing. Yeah, we use that putty kind. I don't know if you've used it. You cut off a piece. And the hardener is the center core. So from the warmth of your hand squishing it together, you blend the gray JB Weld with the black. And then it's five minutes to set. So, you know, don't take too long putting the patch on. But within five minutes, my fingernails couldn't scratch it. It already hardened right up. So this is a hard tube. No, I've never used that one before. I always use a two-part epoxy, which is more kind of liquidy almost, like not quite liquid, more like toothpaste consistency. But that yes. one you're talking about, I've seen other sticks like that, but I didn't know JB Weld was doing it. That's um, that's sort of a dry or almost dry, like putty, uh, licorice type thing then. It was. And I've only used it a couple times. I'm more comfortable with the two tubes, which I tried first, I should tell you, because it was a real idiot move. I bought a package before I left for the Yukon and I thought, great, 
I've got a brand new package and I squirted it out, blended it on a piece of cardboard, put it on and said, okay, 15 minutes from now, we're ready to go. Well, in half an hour, it was still really gooey. So I read the instructions, which you should do. (laughs) Read the package and the kind I had bought was more designed for your shop at home. It took four to five hours to harden, which we didn't really have, you know, in Mm. grizzly country. I didn't want to be standing around there. So what I did was read it and uh, realized that I bought the wrong kind. But luckily, another guy who happens to be named Clint, he had that tube style, which was a five-minute set. Mm, right. It's important to look at it and, and get the, the quicker setting one. Now, my question here is, Clinton, when this hole that's in the crankcase, it, 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 usually when you have a hole ha- happen like that, it breaks a piece off on the inside. That was my worry. So what we did is when we put the patch on, I lifted the bike up, took the drain plug out, and we caught the remnants of the oil in two coffee cups which we put in the oil jug once we used, we replenished it with good oil afterwards. And I was hoping I would find this little piece and we didn't. Mm -hmm. So our guess was that it was put into the oil filter, but I didn't have a new oil filter there. So we thought, you know, you could put it on the back of the truck and we could, there's no dealership nearby. There is a Honda dealer in Whitehorse, Yukon, but no Triumph. So we're not going to be able to get an oil filter. So it's up to you, but let's cross our fingers and hope that piece goes down to the bottom. Right. Or it fell out with the stone. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But uh, he had no other troubles the rest of the week. And he was absolutely astounded with the repair. Just couldn't believe it kept trying to buy me dinners, which are included, and give me cash, which I refused. <laughs> and then he decided rather than ship his bike home by truck, he would ride from the Yukon back to Ontario because he had no pressing engagements. So the repair was 10 days ago. And as far as I've heard, uh, the guy's name is Todd. He's riding that bike back home and has had no troubles. Wow. That's that's pretty neat. That's that's incredible. And just a little bit of JB Weld to uh, fix an otherwise total catastrophe. I mean, I can imagine why he's bummed out. You know, if you if you don't yes. know about those things and you don't have any idea, that could um, yeah completely ruin a trip. Does he plan on um, taking the engine down or, or taking it to the dealer or something when he gets back, or is he just going to use it like that? I recommended it. Uh, take even if you take that left case off, it would require taking the foot peg and the crash guards off. But I would take that left case off and see if I could f- flush it out or, or see yeah. it with a flashlight. But it wasn't something I could do on the side of the road. No, I'd save the oil filter too and then cut the oil filter open and see if you can locate the part. Because just that peace of mind of knowing you found the piece, then you're good to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, He's going to... 6,000 kilometers. Excuse me. He's going to ride 6,000 in total right now. Yeah. Just to get home. 
Oh, that's, that's pretty, that's a nice adventure. Well, that's great for you because you, you've had a really busy season as well, haven't you? You've had all kinds of people coming in to learn how to ride. Yeah, we were shut down with COVID till the third week of June. So that's two months closed where we're normally open. So there was a pent up demand for adventurism, I think, because we saw a lot of our returning customers, but a whole wave of new people who just thought they'd like to try adventure bikes or dirt bikes or ATVs. So the problem was to survive COVID last year, I sold over 40 of our vehicles, dirt bikes and snowmobiles, stuff like that, Mm -hmm. just for cash flow. And now we really need them. I have the cash, but there's none available because production is hampered and like there's no dirt bikes in the area dealers bike shops you can play hockey in there is that right wow yeah i'm hearing this all over all over the u.s and and canada people are telling me the the same thing that um it's very difficult what about adventure bikes is there is there a high demand on that as well yes um we're we have two kind of offerings one is called a dual sport course so it's someone that maybe has bought an adventure bike They've never been in gravel even other than a construction zone. So they can come out and in the morning, they ride a little 250 dirt bike and learn the basics of gravel, hills, obstacles, you know, emergency braking and loose terrain. Then after a nice lunch at the resort, we go out either on their adventure bike or they use one of our BMWs. And that gives them a good taste of the sport. And if they want to get into it or certainly perfect their skills up a little bit. Mm, That's the thing. You've got an amazing facility there, don't you? I mean, you've you've got uh, tons and tons of riding space around you and you have the resort as well right beside you. Yeah, it's the, the perfect spot because a lot of adventure bike riders aren't 22 and they like camping with their visa card, you know, (laughs) in is roughing it for a lot of our Mm -hmm. clients so if they're coming up from any distance they can stay overnight or a couple of nights at a very nice resort great food and great amenities for family if they don't want to ride something with gasoline and uh, it really helps our business and i believe we send a lot of people there as well yeah, well, that's pretty neat. Yeah, it's a good facility for sure. Well, and of course, we'll have a link in the in the show notes if anybody's interested in, in looking at what you do, uh, as we always do. Uh, put your link in the sh- in the show notes. But um, today we're talking about the turnaround, so turning around in tight spaces. And um, why would I want to start off with? Why do you think this maneuver is important for people to to learn? Well, I think anyone with two wheels is going to face possibility of having to do a u-turn they're lost and you just want to turn without going into the ditch or up on the sidewalk and for adventure riders uh, often if you just rely on your gps you're going to start on a gravel road end up on a cow path and then it turns into this single track that it looks like a moose made you're going to have to turn around mm-hmm. so there's lots of different tips that we give to people for being able to do that without crashing. It's, it's the, the look on people's face when you get into a situation like that. It's often they come to the point where they stop and then they sort of look around 
and don't know what to do. You know, they're not sure because they haven't learned how to do it. So they haven't planned their stop and it's confusing. It's uh, unnecessarily difficult and it can end up being you drop your bike. Yeah, I think it's one of the most common places where people fall off a motorcycle is during a tight turn, Mm -hmm. especially off-road. People could be quite skilled on pavement because they don't require counterbalancing as much. But in softer terrain, that front tire, if you're turning left, your front tire during the turn slides to the right. And that causes your weight and the bike's weight to pitch to the left Mm -hmm. and usually drop the bike. Right. Well, and we're going to start, I know the way you teach this is you start um, on uh, high traction areas like asphalt and then move to gravel and then into dirt and and talk about tighter turns. But before we get into each step, I'm just wondering, are are there, um, is there a key to understand here or maybe some keys that you're going to be talking about today that sort of um, basic concepts that we need to understand that that is sort of the key to the turnaround? I think so. There's kind of three secrets we ask instructors to relate to someone trying to do this. Uh, first of all, if the bike is clutch equipped, when the clutch is completely out on a big motorcycle, the throttle is very choppy in first gear. It's very sensitive to input. So it's hard to make a tight turn with the clutch all the way out because your speed is either too fast or too slow. And as soon as you lose momentum, the bike falls. So one of the first key things we ask people to do in a straight line, not turning, is see if they can ride slowly with their feet up, but control their speed with their left clutch hand, just Mm -hmm. two fingers resting on the clutch and ride the clutch. So we do an analogy with a dimmer switch, which most people have in their houses. And you don't want the power as bright as it'll go or as much speed as possible. So if you just have the clutch half in, then only half the power can go to the back wheel and it smooths out your throttle. So that's one of the keys. We get people to be able to ride in a straight line, eyes up, squeezing the tank and riding the clutch so they can go the appropriate speed that a tight turn requires. So once again, once again, that, that clutch, that modulation of the clutch comes into play here again for all of our slow speed stuff, isn't it? I mean, really, it's key for slow speed maneuvering no matter what we're doing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I must talk about the clutch more than anything else when I'm at work Mm -hmm. and I'm looking down the road thinking if we're going to go to old battery stuff, I'm out of business. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny because you you did say if your bike has a clutch, because obviously you're seeing more of the Africa twin uh, DTC come in. Yes. There was three of them on this trip out of 18 bikes and uh, with the DCT, you, if you're first jumping on it, it's very difficult to go very slowly in this tight turn situation. So what we found works is to get the person to ride their rear brake just a little. Mm -hmm. And that scrubs off the snappiness of the throttle in the lower gear. Right. 
I often ride the rear brake anyway. Um, yeah. I've sort of always done that ride the rear in, in those slow speed maneuvers because it controls everything better. It makes, um, it just takes away the jerkiness, any sort of jerkiness you get. That's right. So, okay. So, um, I, you, I know you'd like to start off with asphalt. So let's start off with that. How, how what do we do with the turnaround? What's the first thing to do? And, and I'm going to guess here, I'm going to take a chance rather and say that I think it's, it's setting up your turn. It's knowing where to stop before you make your turn. If you're going to stop or, and, and how to figure out where you're going to go. Am I right? Yes. But I think stopping and then leaning over and turning increases the difficulty. So if I'm on a roadway and it's paved and I realize, you know what, the setting sun should be behind me. Apparently I'm lost again, which happens quite frequently. <laughs> so I've got to do a U-turn or a tight turnaround. I don't want to go in the ditch. So I've got to be able to do it within my own lane because I don't really want to go really wide up on the sidewalk or anything. So the, the first essential thing is to slow down. And before doing that, we should check our mirror or a quick shoulder check just to make sure another rider in your group or a vehicle is coming up behind you. Because that's a common motorcycle vehicle accident when the car pulls over to the right and just does a U-turn quickly and the rider hits them. So we don't want to be the cause of that right. same scenario by us being the bad guy. Mm -hmm. So shoulder check or mirror check. If it looks clear, what I'm going to do for the setup of my turn is pretend I'm in my old transport truck that I have. To turn left, the rear wheels of the transport truck or your motorcycle turn a sharper corner than the front wheel. So that's why you'll see the signs on the back of transport trucks kind of warning. I make wide turns. So I would take the front tires of the truck or the bike and go as far over to the right as possible to set up for making a left turnaround. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I see that. And because when you make the turn, for instance, with your tractor trailer analogy, um, your, your turning wheels are in front, it makes the turn, and then the back wheels come in very tight to the corner. Yes, exactly. So... That's what we should do with our bike is go way over to the right-hand edge of the rotor trail, as long as there's good traction there. And that's, we ride straight for a little ways on that. Then I'm going to concentrate on getting my speed to a smooth, appropriate turning speed. So below 10 kilometers an hour, you know, 14 miles an hour. Or six miles an hour. Now, this will be slow enough that you're going to need to pull in the clutch. You will not be able to do this with the clutch out, that, that sort of speed we're talking. That's right. Um, it's way easier going straight to set up your speed by slipping the clutch, maybe a little dab of rear brake. Then I'm going to start getting my butt off the seat to the right if I'm turning left. So both cheeks off the seat. Because in order to make any turn, a motorcycle has to lean. So at 50 miles an hour, we lean with the motorcycle and you could almost drag your knee on the ground. But at five miles an hour, you cannot lean with the bike. On pavement, it's more forgiving. If you do it smoothly, you'll be able to. But off-road, that front tire is going to slide on you. 
So what we recommend is create a V-shape between you and your motorcycle. As the bike starts to lean to the left, I'm already hanging off the right-hand side. Um, we'll get customers to practice this sitting down at first. And then later, as their confidence and competence increases, we'll ask you to do it standing. So I'm going straight. I'm just about to start my turn. I'm riding the clutch. I've got the speed that I want. The second component past the clutch is to now start that V. So my body mass has got to be off the bike on the right-hand side. Then I start my turn, and the third component kicks in, your eyes. First of all, they should be looking where, do you think, Jim? Where you want to go. Yeah, exactly, which is behind you. So that means put your chin on your shoulder, and all the vision experts say the round part of our eye, the center, is the best clarity of focus. So that's looking back where we came. And your peripheral side or lower vision is seeing any rocks on the road or where the edge of the road is and the curb or sidewalk starts. So your main eyeball is turned right around, chin on your shoulder, looking behind you. Where a lot of people go wrong is they're looking over their headlight and they end up on the sidewalk or in the ditch. Mm. It's counterintuitive, isn't it, really, for a, for a new rider, is you tend to want to look where your wheel's rolling because that's what you're most concerned about. So you, you, you look down at that front wheel as you're going around, but that just makes you turn wider. Yeah, does it ever. Really wide. Or there's no turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, there's a couple of fine points that really help people. As you're turning the handlebars left, your head is turning left, make your shoulders parallel with your handlebars. Mm -hmm. So you're turning your upper body in the direction you want to go. That really helps. Oh, that helps with your weight shift too. Yes. And that helps get the weight off the bike to the right. And then I've even added the toes in your boots. Pivot on your pegs a little so they're pointing left. So you're getting your lower body mass adjusted as well as upper body. Mm -hmm. Combining those three things is how you do a tight turn. But to practice a U-turn, if you think of it, a big circle is doing it twice. So if you've got a parking lot space large enough, start doing those three things, clutch, body mass shift, and eyes, in a big circle at slow speeds. Then slowly tighten that circle until you can do the U-turn in the width of a roadway. Uh, that seems to really help people if they, you know, to throw people in a tight turn with no practice or coaching, you're going to have to teach how to pick up the bike because that's going to be a very common fall because right. they lean it over smash the bike goes down mm -hmm. yeah because it's just the balance yeah, right sorry. i mean getting that balance right you mentioned the v there and just to make sure that we have that visual correct on the v 
the V is the bike. Like if you use your hands, for instance, you put your hands up in front of you and put your, your, the heels of your hands together, the palms of your hands together, the left hand being the bike, the right hand being you, the rider. And if you spread them apart, that's what you're talking about, that V so that the rider's leaning away exactly. from the motorcycle just to, to counterbalance it. Yes. So the left hand is leaning left, obviously, with the tips of fingers far apart from the right. What a lot of people do is they leave their body straight up and down and just lean the bike. It's not enough. They're heavy bikes. They drop. So you've got to hang off the other side. Mm. Yeah, I guess it makes sense, doesn't it? You're, you're counterweighting the weight of this whole adventure motorcycle. Figure out the weight of that, you know, 500, 600 pounds. And you're only going to be maybe a couple of hundred pounds. You're going to have to work hard to counterbalance that weight. I mean, you've actually got to lean farther than the bike is actually leaning to counter it. Yes. And the reason we want to lean further is if you think of a motorcycle tire on the center of the bottom of the tread, if you measured it with a tape measure, the longest distance is right in the center. If you measure it at the sidewall, it's a few inches shorter. That means if we lean our motorcycles onto the sidewall, it'll turn a much sharper corner. Mm. than a bike straight up and down. That also means less so, traction, doesn't it? It does. Different traction. but uh, And like there's all kinds of physics going on there, pushing it sure. to the side. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that sounds fairly straightforward and, and a great way to practice, like you say, in the parking lot. What changes when the, when the traction isn't there, like when we're not on asphalt or a real hard surface? Yeah, and that's where uh, the falls really start to happen. Now we're taking a short break. I've got three things that I want to tell you about, so hear me out on these. It only takes a few minutes. When we come back, we're going to dig a little bit further into the turnaround and also get some advice from Clinton on how to build these skills at home by ourselves. Stay with us. It's curious nowadays that so many cars, almost all cars, come with cruise control, yet not so much for motorcycles. Well, that's why we have the Atlas Throttle Lock, cruise control for all motorcyclists. Now, it's called the Atlas Throttle Lock because it does lock the throttle in position, but not locked for theft. It holds your throttle position so you can relax your hand, wrist, and arm. And it really adds to your riding pleasure. Now, I say locks. I guess really it's holds because if you need more or less throttle, you just simply make the adjustment and then the Atlas holds that new position. You don't have to unlock it. You just make the adjustment and it holds the new position. I have one and it works perfectly for me. It's, it's really, really nice. Now, the Atlas Throttle Lock was invented by riders just like you and I. David and Heidi Winters were on a round-the-world trip, two up, when a broken wrist forced David to use a throttle lock. And he got so frustrated with the throttle lock that he had and that he tried that he figured there had to be a better way. So when he got home, he searched around and he could not find anything that met his needs. So that set him on a quest to develop his own throttle lock. And th this thing is incredibly designed, beautifully crafted mechanism that clamps onto your bike in a few minutes and comes off so you can switch it from bike to bike. You don't have to let it go with your bike when you sell it. By the way, we did an episode on their story. So if you search by in the back episodes on, on our website, you'll, uh, you'll find their story. AtlasThrottleLock.com is their website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. 
Well, Turkana Gear is a new manufacturer for soft luggage for us motorcyclists. Crafted through experience is their motto because um, the founders are all travelers. So these travelers got together, including Mickness and Elsby from Peaky Peaky Overland. You hear them on, on here on Adventure Rider Radio. They got, got together and sort of brainstormed what they liked and what they didn't like about the luggage they were using that they had used and, and what their opinions were on, on what they wanted. They thought about what was important to them as travelers for gear, and they came up with some pretty interesting points, I think. Like, first off, it was paramount that it was durable. That's that's a, a more obvious one, dependable. Um, and then repairable. They wanted to make sure they could actually repair the bags on the road. So simplicity was important uh, with the gear. And uh, interestingly, this other one, prices that leave money in your pocket for riding. This is this was part of their, their plan with the company. Um, they wanted to make sure that people could afford to buy bags for their bikes, yet still have cash left in their pocket, you know, sort of not break the bank type, type of thing. And I think we all like that idea. Of course, their website is turkanagear.com. Turkana is with a K, T-U-R-K-A-N-A. And uh, don't forget, anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Of course, there's a link on our website as well to do uh, all of our advertisers. turkanagear.com. Well, we already know that a huge amount of design goes into a great product. And just because something looks cool and shiny doesn't mean it will perform. Sometimes you can get away with cheap stuff, but not when it comes to foot pegs for your motorcycle. Foot pegs are your connection to your bike. They need to be incredibly tough for the abuse of adventure riding, even dropping your bike. Think about it, it can mash a foot peg. IMS Products has been designing gear for motorcycles since 1976. And over that time, IMS has always been owned and run by riders just like you and I. So when they design a foot peg, it's all about quality first. I mean, these are riders designing it so that there's care, there's interest, you know, there's a desire to make something amazing. If it isn't great, if it doesn't turn out great, then it just doesn't make the lineup for them. And that's really why IMS has such a solid reputation. IMS Products has a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs from the large ADV-1 and ADV-2 on down to the core series. They've got a peg for each riding style. The website, imsproducts.com. And uh, anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, imsproducts.com. Well, I mean, that sounds fairly straightforward and a great way to practice, like you say, in the parking lot. What changes when the when the traction isn't there, like when we're not on asphalt or a real hard surface? Yeah, and that's where uh, the falls really start to happen. So we, we always started in hard gravel or pavement and then switch to where it's looser. But we stop and I actually take a tire, just a regular tire, and I ask everybody to gather around and I go on the deep sand, turn the tire to the left and illustrate how the bottom of the tire will slide out to the right. And then I can show them with a motorcycle as I demo it. And to counteract falling over is I'll hang right off the other side of the bike. So again, using the turning left analogy, I'll stand up or just sit down, but my butt is completely off the bike. I've often taken my left foot right off the peg, which allows my body to move off the bike more. And that counteracts the front wheel sliding to the right. It still slides a little, but the bike doesn't drop because I'm anticipating it wanting to fall to the left. So 
when we talk about it, illustrate it, and then get people to try it with coaching, we have way better success. And the trick is not to try and do a 90 degree really tight turn in deep sand. That's really hard to do. That's advanced, advanced skills. So make the turn as wide as possible. Go right to the edge of the soft material. If it is a trail, there's probably better traction at the edge anyway, because not many people ride there. They ride in the middle. Mm-hmm. And that'll increase your success rate. So you're talking left-hand turns. Now, does anything change with doing a right-hand turn? Yes, it's much harder because, and that's why we do lefts first. The throttle, when you turn right, your elbow's kind of into the side of your body. So we recommend people have their elbows elevated, elbows up, eyes up, stand up, and that really helps them. Um, So most people find turning tight circles to the left far easier than the right because of the throttle. Or it may have been the way they roller skated around the rink. I don't know. Well, I think we've sort of talked about this before, but uh, but it's it's worth repeating. If we did, the um, I always think of the brake as well because you know when you're leaning off the like if we're making a right hand turn and the bike is leaning to the right and the rider is leaning to the left, now you have a little more difficulty getting at that rear brake because it's on the right hand side. So the throttle and yeah. the rear brake, yeah, a little tighter. But I think it's important to set your speed up before you get in there so you don't have to be doing any braking. Mm. Um, because putting any brake on means suspension change. That can affect traction. And with the bike going down on the suspension while you're leaned, you're helping the thing tip over. Oh, yeah. So makes sense. Set your speed up before you initiate the turn so you can just smoothly go through it. Now, how do you know, um, I mean, I guess there's the obvious thing with balance, but how do you know if you're leaned far enough or you're leaning too far? So in other words, like I know you can do a corner, you know, and, and maybe not lean as far as, as what you could, so you could get a much tighter corner by, by leaning further. But how do you get the feel for that? I think that's a balance point from practice. So in level two BMW GS, they do what's called an enduro loop and we get people, they should be comfortable standing up. But as they're riding in first gear standing, we ask them to swing their right boot and leg around so they can sit on the motorcycle side saddle. Then they put their right boot on the left foot peg and stand up and create a V. Lean the motorcycle to the right and you're hanging off the side of the bike like it's a sailboat about to tip over. Right. If, if that analogy helps. And the whole idea is you're never going to use that in a riding situation. You shouldn't. But it gives the person experience and comfort with balancing a big heavy motorcycle and putting their body and feet in the right place to keep it upright. Mm. And knowing the limits tells you where, where your, your working area is. Yes. So I'm thinking of one instructor we have, Amanda, she's probably 105 pounds, five foot five. 
and she throws a GS1250 around like it's a mini bike, partially because she's a little crazy. <laughs> but she hangs completely off the bike. She has to because she weighs so little compared to the weight of that big motorcycle. So her left foot, when turning left, isn't on the peg. It's way up by the seat because she's hanging off as long as her arms let her. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've got to be very comfortable with the motorcycle to be able to do that. Yeah, but that is the trick for really, really soft terrain. Uh, with the exception of mud, it's going to slide around anyway. So try to avoid turning <laughs> in mud if you can. <laughs> but sand, often we have to. But So make it as wide as possible. What, when you're making that turn, what about the knee into the tank? Yeah, that does help big time. Or the knee. And so let's say you're turning left. Your left, the inside of your left knee behind the kneecap is kind of holding the seat up. That's how I do it. And that allows me to get my right knee as far away from the bike as possible. So um, your weight then, your and that knee, the left knee, kind of helps hold the motorcycle up. And if you move your left knee to the right, the left leg, that helps stand the bike up after the turn. So we have customers practice that as well. Now, this is all sitting down mainly. You've been talking about sitting down. What changes with standing up? Uh, most people, like physically, it works better, but psychologically, it's scarier for people. That's why we do sitting first. Then we do a lot of other things standing up before we throw them into figure eights or tight turns or U-turns. Because that takes a little while for the brain to realize, you know, I'm okay standing. I can hang on to this thing. Clinton, don't you think that, um, like, as far as the difference between standing and sitting, like, doesn't standing seem like it's almost safer because if the bike goes down, it's just easier to step off? Exactly. And that's something we talk about, the safety when practicing this or doing this. An instinctive part of a human's brain is if you're running and you trip, you put your hands out. Or if you're sitting in a chair and the chair leg breaks, you put your foot out. So many injuries on motorcycles that are caused doing this maneuver, tight turns, happen because of instinct. The person goes to fall and either rider or the passenger, as the bike's heading towards the ground, they put their foot or their arm out to try to break the fall. Well, you're not going to hold up an adventure bike. So it's far safer. Uh, let's talk about the passenger first. Far safer for them to grip the motorcycle really tightly with their legs and knees and hang on to, if there's a, a saddlebag mount nearby, hang on to something, maybe even the rider's jacket. Don't put your hand out or your foot down if the bike is falling over. It's a really bad idea. Mm. So what happens if you squeeze tightly and don't put your feet and your hand down is the bike is way wider than we are. It hits the ground and then that momentum of falling, try a shoulder roll. So the part of your body that impacts the ground is your shoulder and then kind of roll to the left if you're turning left 
and then get get away from the bike. And then you just have to be careful if you're in traffic as to far as where you roll. But I'm thinking in a kind of an off-road gravel environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what we recommend. We don't teach people how to fall because gravity will do that all by itself. <laughs> we do advise you, do not try to hold a bike up. If, if it's past saving by putting a foot down, get your foot out of the way. Kick it up high and let the bike drop with your leg in the air. Uh, we teach little kids that and it works perfectly. It's just working at getting it to be reflective. Yes. So your reflexes do it automatically. The bike starts to go down, you're pulling that leg up so you don't get trapped in there because that's where the damage happens. Yes. And, you know, you'd hope that people don't practice it enough. That means they're crashing a lot. <laughs> Maybe they should try tennis. But But the thing with crashing is it happens very, very quickly. Like less than a second, you're turning left in gravel and sand, or maybe you've touched the front brake while turning with a little bit of debris on pavement. That front tire goes out very, very quickly, and you're over and on the ground within a second. So you don't want to practice falling, but you just got to tell yourself, don't let go of the bike. Don't put your hand out to try to break your fall. And that's one of the reasons uh, the medical people I know said, say the clavicle, the collarbone, is one of the most commonly broken bones in all sports, including motocross, is because when people crash, they put their arm out to protect their face going in. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I did the exact same thing, F- fell off my mountain bike, put my hand out, broke my wrist. I mean, it, it was a bit of a fall, but um, it surprised me. It really did. And it was just one of those automatic things, just the way it happened. Um, I should have rolled for sure. I've done it many other times and, and rolled off and, you know, just sort of got up, brushed myself off and got back on. But this time, nope. Yeah. Uh, it's really prevalent at the ski resorts for skiers and especially snowboarders because they're already leaning way over to cut a turn and then the snowboard isn't there anymore it slips out on some ice and hand is already out helping them balance so broken thumbs and wrists are incredibly uh, probable if you snowboard wow Okay. So, um, we, we've talked about asphalt, we've talked about gravel, dirt, and, and even talking about mud. Is there, is there any other variations that we need to cover with, with making these tight turns? Yeah. The, for, if it's off-road, um, and the trail's a little rough, maybe it's rutted. It's harder to make that turn if there is ruts. So, you know, the old fallback is stop. You could even put it on the side stand and then kind of drag your front wheel around. There's many ways to turn around. You know, the fancy way is to do it with brake slide and then throttle turn. So you're doing what we call as a bear turn. It's pretty advanced. But if it's all rutted or there's puddles or deep sand, don't even try riding it around. You know, take it as far as you can. And then put your feet down, turn the bars the opposite way, and reverse if you can. And that cuts the angle 
So your front wheel is now pointing where you want to go. Mm. Now, does and your GS have a reverse? Is that how that works for you? No, I mean, put your feet down <laughs> with the clutch in. I knew, I knew what you meant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, r- rather than push your lock, uh, I guess if you don't feel you can, you can do it. And I guess this will show up on your test or on your practice, because you said to practice, yeah. go out and find a parking lot, for instance, at least for the asphalt stuff. And, and do tighter and tighter circles, you're going to get a feel for what you can do and what you can handle. Then I guess when you get to a situation that it, it's rougher than what you're used to, then that's the point where you're going to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to have to do my multi-point turn here. Um, which reminds me, you didn't give the, which I assume is the same, but you didn't give the practice for gravel or for, for dirt. Do you do it the same way? You find an open area and, and start doing that? Exactly. Now, if it's a gravel road just north of the city you live in, Make sure it's lightly traveled. Put your four ways on if you have them. I had a guy ask me the other day, I don't have four ways. Should I just keep switching from my right signal to my left signal? (laughs) I said, yes, that'd be perfect for you. I like that. (laughs) That's an awful lot of work, but I I like that. But but yeah, you you find a gravel parking lot or something. The best thing is obviously not on the road because then also if something does happen, you drop it. You don't have to worry about having to deal with traffic, you know, while you're pulling this maneuver. So you find a gravel patch somewhere, but, um, but it's as simple as that, is it? You you just do circles and make them tighter and tighter and tighter. And pretty soon you're going to find yourself able to turn around in a tight spot. Yes. If you follow those three secrets of slipping the clutch, set your speed up before you start your turn, then get your weight way off to the opposite direction that you're turning. And lastly, your eyes. Those are the three secrets. And then switch to standing. I really find standing easier because your body mass can get further off the bike than just the length of your legs when you're sitting. Mm-hmm. Standing's way better. Okay. Anything else we should be talking about um, when it comes to that turnaround? A lot of people come to the school and say, can you teach us how to do the bear turn? Go, well, that's pretty advanced, but we could quickly go through kind of the steps of it. Yeah, sure. We've, we've done an episode on this before, but yeah, let, let's, let's just run through that quickly now. We have time for it. So what we're talking about here is we're talking about doing a turn at speed. Now you've got to be comfortable. I guess you really should be comfortable standing up because that's, that's when it works the best. Am I right there? Absolutely. Uh, because standing, something we've talked before about is peg steering. So if I'm standing up and lean heavily on my right foot peg, my bike will turn to the right. So some peg steering comes into this with uh, the sharp, sharp turn, power turn, we'll call it. Okay, so so set this up. Where, where is the area that you would use this? What, what sort of space do you need? Well, the, the idea is you're going down a tight trail and you realize you're lost, but you don't want to put your feet down and do the turn we've talked about earlier. So what you do is you hammer the back brake on with the ABS off, pull in the clutch and punch the bars to the left, let's say. That's easiest to do. With the brake locked up and the clutch in, the rear wheel is now skidding. And if you turn the bars, the back wheel will slide out or drift to the right. Anytime the rear wheel moves to the right, it's making your left turn easier because you've reduced that angle because now your front tires already turning left 
and you haven't even really got to the turn. You're just setting up for it. So at a point halfway around the U shape, you get off the brake and transfer that drifting motion to the throttle and drop the clutch. And the way it works best is if you're still leaned way over to the left, because then the bike is on the side wall of the tire and it slides and drifts with aggressive throttle. You're spraying gravel and dirt and it powers around the other half of the U-turn. And then you just straighten up the steering and you're going the other way. Now, the real warning here, of course, is that the potential for high siding doing this maneuver is rather high. Yes. So we break it down in steps for practicing if people really want to do it. First of all, stop. Have your bike in first gear with the clutch in. Take your left foot, the left foot's on the ground, and slide it as far away to the left, away from your foot peg as possible and lean the bike over so it's on the side of the tire. It doesn't work if it's straight up and down. Then you take your steering to full lock to the left. So you've got it leaned over, it's turned full lock. If you drop the clutch now, you can't let it out gently. You've got to hammer the clutch out with a handful of throttle. The back tire is gonna spin aggressively And because you've got it turned left and leaned on the sidewall, that rear tire is going to drift and slide. And all of a sudden, you've done a donut or half a donut. So we get people used to that first because it gives them the muscle memory of aggressively throttling to get the back end to spin. So that's the power turn once we get to the bear turn. Next, we practice aggressive rear brake, locking up the back wheel and skidding. So do it in a straight line until you're comfortable with the sound and sensation, and then get it drifting. So the drift again, pull the clutch in, hammer the brake on for at least three full seconds, And as soon as it locks up, turn your handlebars to the left. That locked up back wheel is going to drift or slide out to the right. And your bike will turn to the left really aggressively. So then it's just a matter of putting it all together. Brake slide to power turn. And it, it is a, an amazing feeling when you can do it with your adventure bike. It works out very nicely to turn around. Um, again, the danger is of the high side. But once you're used to this, once you're used to standing up, it's, it's fairly comfortable to do. You, you say you, t- you teach it as an advanced skill, though. That definitely. Yeah. And the people that really want to learn it, we uh, get them on a 250 dirt bike first. Because mm. 300 pounds extra weight doesn't make the skill easier. It makes it more dangerous. (laughs) And bags and everything on top of that is just going to make the problem even worse. Yes. So it's not something you should do two up. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a show off skill, but, um, it is doable and it is, it does have, um, it's, 
place in off-road riding, but it's very advanced. Mm-hmm. One one um, example would be you're you're going along in a straight direction and you want to get a trail that's going off on one side or the other, and but it might be heading back more in the direction that you've came from. So it's a tighter turn than you can com- comfortably make. That's where it's great. Yes, fantastic. And that's actually what you described, Jim, is how a lot of enduro racers in the forest turn. They use the back wheel, brake slide in, and then hammer the throttle and it slides around. You just have to also be careful in an environmental sense. If it's soft, soft ground and it's a trail that's used by other modes of transport and people or horses, you don't want to be chewing it all up, doing bear slides and brake turns and things like that. Mm. So you got to use your head as to where and when it's possible to do. Are there any surfaces you don't do that, that style of turn? Yeah, ice. And like I used to try it as a kid in snow and try to keep my feet up. Many crashes, many, many crashes. <laughs> but uh, mud is very easy to do it because it just whips around, but it's very easy to high side in mud. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen people do it when they didn't plan to. All of a sudden, their bike does a 360 and they're going the other way because they tried to change from one rut and get out of it. And that will either throw them over the bars or just spin the bike right around. But you don't teach people to ride motorcycles in the snow though, right? That's not in your curriculum. No, we haven't done that because we have snowmobiles, but we always (laughs) keep a few bikes with studs on them to take on the ice just for fun. Oh dear, that's nice. Yeah, it, it's a neat way just to keep riding, but it's very cold. So you have to have these big, like hippo hand muffs around the bars, because mm-hmm. then you can ride with a, a light glove for feeling. A lot of people use them on this last Yukon trip, where you put your whole glove into this muff, and uh, they were they raved about them, and they weren't that expensive. But I just freaked out of the thought of, I can't get my hands out of there fast enough. So I, I just went with heated grips and uh, good thick gloves. Mm. And I, the bike I took actually had a heated seat. How spoiled was wow. I? Wow. I've never had that before. I, in a vehicle, I had one once, but... Um... Yeah. yeah, that was a real nice. And just the stock seat, I don't know if it was the heat or not, but it really prevented the numb butt that you usually get riding five and 600 kilometers a day. Mm. Some bikes, the seat on them inspires you to stand up more. <laughs> For a break. <laughs> yeah, this bike was just phenomenal. It was the new 1250, the 40th anniversary of the GS. It had heated seats. Was that one of your bikes that you took? Uh, kind of. It's one that BMW Canada lends the school, but I really fell in love with it. So if I can afford it, I'm going to see if I can buy it. But they're pretty high demand. I guess they only brought in a few of them because there's the, that black and yellow one to replicate the first 1980 GS. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so I, do, I doubt I'll be able to, but I'm certainly going to try. 
You mentioned the hippo hand, uh, the handlebar covers. Uh, we had them on the show, actually, hippo hands um, some time ago. So if, if someone's interested, you go back, to, go to our website, adventureriderradio.com and, and just search for hippo hands. You'll come up with that. And, and we talked about that and I've tried them and um, they're, they're pretty good. You know, they, they, they do shelter, give you some, um, some wind shelter there, but that, that is if you can stand that feeling of, of having your hands in the, you know, inside something, but the opening on them is fairly large. So if you haven't tried them, Clinton, I mean, with your riding skills, yeah, it wouldn't I be an issue. I should have tried them. Yeah. Uh, buddies offered me, we switched bikes for a minute and his was a, he didn't have the hippo hands. Another buddy I rode, but the one I switched with was a KTM 1090, beautiful bike, great motor. And he just took off on the BMW and I'm sweeping on this KTM. So I didn't see him for a couple hours, but when I could, I was trying to find the heated grip button. You know, it's a different bike. Adventure bikes these days, you need a night school course to figure <laughs> out all the electronics. Yeah. I could not find those electric grips. And he laughed when I complained to him. He goes, that bike doesn't have any. It was an option. <laughs> no wonder he gave you his bike to ride. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was so happy to get back on with good heated grips and a heated seat. Well, is there anything else we should we should be talking about with this? Well, I think it's a, a small topic, the tight turns, but I think practicing it really helps people because it's something most street riders struggle with is that tight turn. And it causes problems and embarrassment because, you know, in a parking lot or at the mall and they can't even do a tight turn. And they end up running wide and having to jam the front brake on. It's it's unnecessary if people just practice so simple, basic circles and then tighten them up. And even doing this, practicing it the way you're saying, is going to increase your your control of the motorcycle once again. It's going to uh, polish your your clutch use, your balance. There's so many, so much more you get out of it than even just learning the turnaround. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think of it that way, but you're right. Everything else would get better. The uh, the other part that usually comes in with practicing is how to pick up your fallen bike. And mm. if it's a big adventure bike and you're practicing this, strip the bike down, take the bags off if you can, uh, get the weight down, anticipating you might have to lift the thing or practice with a friend because they're big and heavy, these bikes. And it's a good way to injure yourself if you don't lift properly. Well, Clinton, that was great. Thank you very much. Um, always fun to sit down and, and talk riding with you. Yes, it was my pleasure, Jim. I hope look forward to it again. I was speaking with Clinton Smout from Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada. Smart Adventures specializes in motorcycle rider training. They also do ATV and snowmobile training. Smartadventures.ca is the website. Of course, that link will be in our show notes. We also have some photos that illustrate what we've been talking about. Um, Clinton just went out and shot some actually after we did this to illustrate that turn. So you might want to look at that. It shows the counterbalance and everything. All in the show notes for this episode on AdventureRiderRadio.com. Hey, 
Okay, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, MotoBreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer Elizabeth Martin and to you the listener thank you very much for being a part of this. Hey if you're not doing it already supporting the show we would love to get your support. We need your support. It's built on a model of advertising and listener support so we depend on listeners stepping up to help the show go and to help the show grow. So drop by our website AdventureRiderRadio.com and click on support. Now we have another show called ARR Raw comes out once a month. It's a separate subscription you'll need to do. Um not that you're paying for it. You just go to anywhere where you're getting podcasts and you click on ARR Raw and you subscribe to that show. We would love a five-star review for both shows. Drop by anywhere in particular iTunes where you see our show and give us a five-star review. We would love to have that. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening and being a part of this and I'll talk to you next week. I'm Marissa Notier. And I'm Tim Notier. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 